Pastor Parker is going to speak to us today on effective faith. All right. Thank you. I'm glad to see you guys survived Christmas so far. Uh, no casualties. That's always a positive thing. Our, my Christmas did involve a trip to the ER. Uh, not for myself, but for my brother-in-law. So uh, never a shortage of excitement. Um, this year and every year we go up to upstate New York where my wife's family is from and uh, just east of Syracuse and we spend a good amount of time with them. And, but this year I had to eat dinner alone. I don't know why, but it worked out that the only chairs that we had that sat at the regular table were taken. We had 10 chairs, regular height, and all we had left were bar stools at the kitchen counter. And so we had 11 adults, including me, and 10 chairs, and then a kid's table. And I, I don't know how it worked with my in-laws, got stuck by myself at the high top in the kitchen counter. And what you, don't have, what you have to realize is that my wife's family, there's 10 of them. Her mom and dad are split, but they both come to dinner. It's like an all-day marathon with incredible family dynamics. My, my sister's... Uh, my, my wife's sister-in-law, her mom comes with her brothers, and so there's 10 of them, and they don't have a normal conversation. They kind of yell at each other. And if there's 10 of them, there's about 20 conversations going at once. I grew up in a family where there were four of us. My sister was nine years older than myself, so by the time I was in my teens, she was more or less gone. So our family holidays were the three of us most of the time, very quiet. We'd open presents by 10 a.m., and then we'd kind of disperse to our own parts of the house. They do a marathon from like 8 to 9 at night with everyone there yelling the whole time with electronic toys going. I have a four-month-old. He, he cries every now and then. And so we've got that going in the background, everybody yelling. And so what you don't understand is that sitting at this table by myself was the best thing that ever happened <laughs> to me. The best thing. See, um, hopefully some of you guys can relate to this. I'm an introvert. This is a lot for me to handle. Christmas. Uh, if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, I'm an ISTJ. I, wow. I need to hide behind the table here. Something's going to start being thrown. Um, I'm, I tend to be very analytical, detail-oriented, practical, orderly. I love structure. I love solitude. There's something that messes both of those up incredibly well. People. People tend to mess those two things up like nothing else can. You introduce people into structure and especially solitude, the whole thing falls apart. My uh, undergrad professor, we did several ministry personality tests to figure out you know, your ministry style and how you relate to people. He summed up my, my studies, my personality tests, in six sweet short words. You don't like people, do you? <laughs> so I'm community groups pastor. <laughs> I have this incredible tension living within me where part, most of me wants to run away. But what I want to talk about this morning is really the fact, the, the discovery that I've made about the importance of people. And for some of you, this will not be a hurdle at all. You love people. Your whole life revolves around people. For me, especially when it comes to faith, I like to withdraw. I like to contemplate faith. And I think even in our D.C. area, the push is to keep your faith private, to keep your beliefs kind of hidden. So coming here on Sunday morning is a great step, 
But letting that step beyond Sunday morning is a big hurdle. So this morning, what I really want to talk about is the power of people in making your faith effective. See, God uses community to make something very private work. Something very private work. We love the, uh, the character that religion can build in us. We love the things that it can do for us. But there's something faux pas about bringing those conversations into faith and into community. And that's really what we're here this morning about is you're part of a community in a sense. This is arguably one of the safest places that you can talk about your faith. But for an hour every morning, most of us, including me on many mornings, will come in, sit in a seat, contemplate to ourselves, and leave and not really have that dialogue. So I want to begin by saying the private life is incredibly important this private element that you're in right now, because it all begins with a private decision. Faith is incredibly personal and private. Acts 2 is the first sermon recorded after Jesus' death and resurrection, and Peter comes and he says, tells the story of what Jesus has done and the fact that he died on our behalf. The fact that he opened up a way for us to have a relationship with God. And the crowd there in Jerusalem looks at him and says, what must we do to accept this message? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, each and every one of you. See, faith isn't something that you're born into. It's not something you accidentally slide into. It has to have a marking point, a decision point. It's private. It's personal. But what immediately follows after those verses is that those who made the decision to follow Jesus were added to their number and devoted themselves to fellowship, moving from the private to the public, moving from this isolation perspective of contemplation and decision to devotion to community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer sets out an incredible dichotomy for us that I kind of love because it keeps me grounded says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He goes on a couple paragraphs later and says, let him who cannot be in community beware of being alone. What options do we have then? We can't be alone. We can't be in community. Right? If these are our two options, and he's setting them diametrically opposed, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Or let him who is not in community, beware of being alone. What options do we have? He goes on and lays out why these two extremes are risks for us. He says, the one who wants fellowship without solitude, one who wants community without that private decision, the solitude, the contemplative act, plunges into the void of words and feelings. It's all about talk, but nothing changes inside. He says, the one who seeks solitude without fellowship Perishes, I love it, he's very dramatic, perishes into the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation and despair. It becomes all about me. So what options do we have this morning if we can't just be alone and we can't just be in community? There has to be something greater. And so I want to talk a little bit about this private faith because it is a give and take. It's not an either or, it's a both and, it's a... It's a movement in our life that makes this thing work. There's a verse in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. 
that if you've been in church any amount of time, you have likely heard this. It says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So 2,000 years ago, you have to think, we are not dealing with electricity, we're dealing with a light. And I think you all get the fact that when it's covered by a bowl, you can't see the light, right? That's pretty intuitive, we get that point. Um, But I want to make a little slightly different point about this private faith, this decision that we have within us by showing a clear bowl, a clear glass. Because there's a deeper truth that takes place when this lamp is actually covered. When our private faith is isolated and becomes only about us, about our contemplation, not letting it affect others, the tendency is towards asphyxiation. The faith eventually dies out. If it remains private and doesn't change the environment around us, the people around us, that faith goes out. So I want to talk this morning about how we can make faith effective again. If putting a bowl over our faith causes it to peter out, to die out, what do we do to lift that glass and breathe new life into it? So I want to look at Philemon, verse 6. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible, 335 words. It's like half of a front sheet of the page of the paper. So if you have a hard time finding it, turn to the table of contents because you will easily breeze past it. But there's two verses in here that are incredibly powerful for understanding how we make our faith effective. Philemon, verse 6. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Paul prays that the fellowship of Philemon's faith may become effective. Paul begins with prayer. Prayer in this context, Paul is praying for Philemon, and prayer has characterized their relationship, their fellowship. Prayer is essential to connecting with God and with others. Have you ever... Well, so I'll start with a little bit of a confession. So I'm an introvert. As we've already declared, I've already been booed at. Um, I have the inability, usually, to break circles of conversation that are already going on. You know what I mean by that? So if you've ever been by a networking event or even maybe here at church where there's two or three people already in conversation, and you see those people kind of slide up and try to work into the conversation, and they just become kind of lurkers on the edge of the conversation... They never actually get pulled into the conversation. They just kind of stand there awkwardly. Usually if it's a failed attempt, after two or three minutes of no conversation, they'll slide back off, right? You see them, they kind of come and go. Well, I can be one of those. And what I'm waiting for every time is eye contact or an introduction or a question that pulls me into the conversation because I don't want to be rude, Plus, I'm an introvert, so I don't really care about the people that much anyway. Do I really want to insert myself in there? But the reality is, when I get that permission, when I'm given eye contact, and I'm pulled into that conversation, I'm able to change the dynamic of that conversation, right? There's something exciting that happens. 
I want to make the correlation to God. Because a lot of times we can gather as friends, as community, and God's kind of skirting around on the outsides. And what prayer and community does is it extends that invitation to God to enter into that dialogue. When we give him that eye contact, when we say, hey, let's pray, let's talk to God, let's invite him into this conversation, his presence begins to change the very reality of that conversation. Not only are we just meeting now with like-minded individuals, but we're actually inviting God into the midst. And when we invite him in willfully and intentionally, the whole reality of our circumstances changes. Matthew 18 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. And so there's something amazing when we gather like we are here. But when we begin to pray together, when we begin to share our hopes, our dreams, our struggles, and say, let's talk about this with God, something amazing happens that transforms the very reality of who we are. Because at that point, God's presence comes down into the room and is able to upset the dynamic, to change the outcomes of our life. I know prayer can be a big obstacle, especially when you're talking about in public, right? Nobody likes to pray out loud. It's taken me a long time, and I've had some very rough patches. Prayer to God with somebody else can be very awkward. So I want to give you something very practical. Just do it. Start by praying out loud by yourself. The concept of prayer is not eloquence. I had uh, There was a guy in our church that every time he would pray, he would slip back into the 16th century with the deepest voice that you've ever heard. And he spoke better King James than the Bible itself. <laughs> That's not what you're going for. God doesn't want eloquence. He wants honesty. I had a friend that always opened his prayers with Daddy. Her dear God, like he was writing a letter. There's nothing wrong with that because that's who he was. There was something powerful in that because in that moment he was expressing who he was. And the reality is, is that God knows who you are. So there should be no fear in expressing that. You see that in the Psalms, even with Psalms of anger, venting their frustration to God. We believe that God's big enough to handle that. Nothing that you say We'll jostle God and knock him, knock him down, surprise him. So just be honest. Just do it. The other thing that I'll say with prayer is you can get better praying by reading Scripture. The more you read Scripture, the more you become familiar with the dialogue between God and man, because that's really what Scripture is. It's a recorded dialogue between God and man. And so as you read the Psalms, as you read the New Testament, you begin to pick up some of the language. You begin to understand, okay, what do I pray for? How does this affect me? Praying in community has been incredibly powerful in my life because it's not only the fact that I'm with like-minded individuals that we can both talk about God. It's the fact that when I bring up a prayer request or a need or a struggle or a doubt in my faith, people begin to band around me. It's like going into war together. Now I know that I have men and women at my right and my left that are willing to approach God something so serious that can change the situation. 
What's more powerful is that weeks later, when I've completely forgot the prayer request or the situation, nine times out of ten, somebody in my group will say, hey, a month ago, we prayed for your job. Not this job, previous job. (laughs) We prayed that you would forgive your mother. And we can begin to see a transformation in you because when we invite prayer into community, into fellowship, people serve as milestones. They help us remember. It's incredibly powerful. That's what Paul prays for Philemon. The second thing, the concern of Paul's prayer is that his fellowship would be effective. We want effective fellowship because it changes the reality of our faith. The term that we have is koinonia in the Greek, and it's the same term that's used in Acts 2 when it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Um, I hate filling the blanks, but I did them. Just to make sure you were paying attention. Koinonia refers to self-sacrificing brotherly love that is willing to forego its legal rights for the benefit of others. It's not just gathering together, having a good time. There's something more powerful in it. Self-sacrificing. It's serving. Because when we begin to self-sacrifice and begin to pour out for the other person, amazing things are accomplished. We saw that with packing 100,000 meals and the seven wells in seven days. When we band together and kind of let ourselves fade into the background we can accomplish amazing things. But it's not just with the practical, it's with our faith. Why this is important, why this message of self-sacrifice is so powerful for Philemon, it's because Philemon had a slave, Onesimus, who ran away. And while Onesimus is traveling around, trying to flee, trying to hide from the authority trying to remain hidden from Philemon, Onesimus has an encounter with Christ. And he becomes a Christian. And something happens in his heart and he says, I need to return to Philemon. I need to go back, make this right. I should not have left him. And so Paul is writing to Philemon that his fellowship with Onesimus would be effective, self-sacrificing. Because in that culture, if a slave left you, You could render judgment on them. You could execute them. You could charge them for lost wages. And what Paul is saying, it's not so much the fact that your identity as a master Philemon supersedes him as a slave. What he's saying is that you guys now are brothers because there's a greater identity that has taken place because your identity is now in Christ. See how powerful that is? No longer is he to view himself as master and slave, but they're to view themselves as brothers. So every one of you here this morning, if you're on your journey of following Jesus, looking for him, whether you've been just starting or 20 years down the road, we're all on equal footing before God. Pastor John and I do not have a closer proximity to God than what you have access to. And that's why we can serve one another, because our identity is not so much in our position or what we know. Our identity is in Christ. 
And so all of us here are equal before God. And when we put things in perspective that way, fellowship is much more effective because I can serve you. It's not fighting for what I owe or earned or what I have rights to. It's foregoing that for each other's benefit. See, community is collaborative. It's not competitive, it's collaborative. Competitive world is, I have something that's better than you, so you learn from me. Or I have more skills than you, so you take a back seat until you get those skills. Community is collaborative because it's saying, I see skills in you that I want God to work in. I see things in you that God wants to move and empower, and I want to use myself as a tool to make that happen. The reality is, again, back to who I am, this is a morning of confession, that things become quickly about me. And when it's all about me, people tend to flee. When it's all about me, people tend to flee. Who likes the people in conversations that always have a better experience than you? You got five points. They've got ten at some point. They got a speeding ticket and got out of it. They've had a better experience. They do life better than you, and everything tends to come back to them, right? We don't like those people. We tend to leave the conversation, right? Because if I were to be honest with myself, and this is not you, this is me, I don't like it when it's all about them, because when it's all about them, it's not about me. That's why I like to leave those conversations, because when somebody keeps turning it back to themselves, it means naturally it's not about me. And I like things to be about me. But when it's all about me, people tend to flee. And so what community, when it's collaborative, means is that we go into community making it about the other person. If you want your fellowship, your community to be effective, we have to begin to look outside of ourselves. We have to begin looking and pouring into the people around us. And it's this give and take in life because this is what I try to tell myself is that as I begin to pour into someone else and they receive, right, they become strengthened, encouraged, they are then equipped and prepared to pour back into me. And it's this give and take in life where I pour out and somebody receives, and then all of a sudden God sends somebody along that pours out and I receive. And it's almost like this beautiful dance as we begin focus on the other person that God fills our cup, encourages us, strengthens us, Paul uses the word energase, a Greek word. You can probably pick up some of our understanding or the sound of energy in that word. And what this is translated as is at work, effective, powerful. Plato says that this type of energy is kind of like a kinetic energy. It has motion to it. It is purposeful. And so our faith needs to be effective this morning because the purpose of your faith, whether great or small, beginning, struggling, or you feel that it's super strong, is to serve a purpose greater than yourself. That's why we gather here in community, because when we're in community, we can do much more together. The purpose of this, Philemon, verse 7 says, 
For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. The purpose of Philemon's love, his fellowship. Paul has received joy and encouragement. The saints have been refreshed. See, our faith, if we keep it contained within this private existence, if we think, okay, I can't talk to other people about my faith. I can't join together with other people about my faith until I know what I believe, until I feel like it's safe. Your faith will be stunted because it will eventually use up the oxygen, the self-motivated power that you've had to start seeking out your faith, when in reality, this community is supposed to be the safest place for you to figure out what you believe. We're not asking you to come to church or community groups because you have it figured out. Quite frankly, nobody likes it when everybody has it figured out, right? We're all in this struggle, this journey together. And whether you've been just starting the journey or been on a long time, you have something to, to contribute. Something that will breathe a little bit more life into somebody else's faith. So there's two things that come out of this public experience. One, a deeper understanding of what is for you in Christ. You have a lot of things at your disposal by being a Christian, by following Jesus. You get a deeper understanding of who he is when you join in community. Because like looking at a diamond, there's several facets, and each one of us has a unique perspective into this journey of faith that I can't see on my own. But when I introduce somebody else into the equation, their experiences, their understanding bring new life, new light on who God is. The second thing that comes out of this, Paul says, is joy, encouragement, refreshing. Letting this globe come off your private faith just a little bit means that God's spirit can begin to blow new life, new oxygen into the flame. And all of a sudden, there's a refreshing that takes place. If you're tired and you're worn out this morning because you've been trying to do it on your own, because you can make it on your own, you're missing what God has in store for you. Because the reality is when we take this globe off and we say, okay, God, I'm going to let you do your work in the midst of community, God breathes new life into this flame and it comes back to life. Something new and exciting happens. Each community group leader, and this is why, so if my professor was true, and that's been 12 years ago now, I don't like people. The reality is that I've seen the power of people. And so I know they're needed. I need every one of you in my life because every one of you has a different perspective, a different way that you can pour into my life and give me the opportunity, more importantly, to pour into yours. When I pour into you, when we have conversations about faith, something invigorating happens in me. Every group leader that I've talked to, and this has been my experience as a group leader, talks about the power of pairing these two together. Because if you're a group leader, and we have almost 100 group leaders here at Grace, we have 50 groups, about 40% of our churches and community group. But what's unique about being a group leader is that they spend time in the private before a meeting. They spend time praying. They spend time reading. They spend time praying about the group members. And that's all good, 
But it's doubly powerful when they get into a group because all that prayer, all that private time, all that private faith is then brought into public community. And when that happens, their understanding of Scripture changes. God enters the equation because they've been praying for these people ahead of time, and now they get to see them during the week and pray for them together. It's an incredible blending of the two, both the private and the public, and it's what Bonhoeffer talks about is this incredible power to step into the private realm, have that decision, have that faith, and then step into community where God can breathe new life into it. It's been my experience as a group leader is that all my time in private study goes 10 times further when I bring that into the community. Because I'll think an amazing idea is there. But when I share it with community, oftentimes it makes no sense. My wife usually sets me right in that area where I think a story is funny or I think an, an axiom makes sense and I share, share it with her and it just falls flat. We can have all kinds of ideas of who God is in the private reality of who we are, but God has placed community around us to help build up, to edify, to refresh that image of who he is and bring new life to our faith. This morning, I'm going to invite the music team out because I want to end with a challenge. If fellowship needs to be effective for our faith to be effective, community groups, pastors, a little self-serving, but there's something powerful that I want you all to experience. If you're not in community group, the first thing is to join a community group and a couple weeks, we're going to be having sign-ups, and you can participate. But I want to talk about the latter point that we just covered, this pairing of the private and the public. All our community group leaders see the power of their faith being exhibited in a community group in a way that they couldn't in private. So this morning, I want to give you the opportunity, if, if you feel like, man, I want to be on the cutting edge of what God is doing, I want to be in control and take the initiative to let this globe off my faith just a little bit and start pouring into others, praying with them, meeting with them, talking about God. If that excites you, if you want to be on the cutting edge, whether you've led a group at another church, at this church, or you've never led a group before, at the end of the service, I want you to meet me up front if that's something that excites you because I want to give you the opportunity this morning to breathe new life into your faith. If you've got an hour and a half on the weeknight or weekend and you say, I have a living room, a dining room, a kitchen, or even a garage that we could meet in, I want to get this thing started. I want to see God breathe new life into my faith. I encourage you to meet me at the front of the stage when the music's over because I want you to take control of your faith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the value of community and that we're never meant to be an island and that our faith, something so private and personal, was never meant to stay hidden. And that when we begin to share and give our faith away and talk about faith in this community that's safe inside of a church setting, something powerful happens. Pray that people would experience that power. Lord, that you begin to move on people's hearts that, that want to be open to meeting with others.
that they would begin to discuss, Lord God, what you have placed on their heart, pouring out into others. Thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your gift, the fact that you want our faith to be effective. And I ask this morning that you breathe new life into our faith. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.